there, I'm limited. Matthew 9, let's stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. I'm not going to have a responsive reading. I'm just going to do the reading this morning. Look at verse 36, and let's read down through verse number 38. The Bible says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Again, the name of our series is Money Matters. Money Matters. The title of the sermon this morning is this, Whose Money Is It Anyway? Whose Money Is It Anyway? Let's pray. Lord, today, this morning, I pray that you would get a hold of our hearts. Lord, um, may we hang on every word of the message this morning. And may we not only grasp it with our heads, but Lord, would you do a great work in our hearts. Holy Spirit of God, go to work in this room. We're wasting our time if you don't show up. We're wasting our time if you're not welcomed here, not working here. And Spirit of God, if you work and we ignore or push away that working... Uh, then, Lord, we've rejected your conviction. Help us not to do that today. Lord, help each one of us to go into this message this morning determined that as you lead, we'll follow. Help us, Lord, to be of one mind and one heart. Work in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Someone once said there are two ways in which a Christian may view his money. How much of my money shall I use for God? Or, how much of God's money shall I use for myself? I had to read that quote a handful of times to really grasp it. So let me just, uh, let me give it to you one more time. How much of my money shall I use for God? Or, How much of God's money shall I use on myself? One day, a certain old rich man of a miserable disposition visited a preacher. And the preacher sat with him and listened to all of his problems. The preacher took the rich man and led him to a window. Look out there, he said. The the rich man looked out into the street. What do you see? The man gazed out the window for a moment, and he said, Well, I see men and women and children. Again, the preacher took him by the hand and this time led him to a mirror. Now what do you see? The man said, Well, now I see myself. Then the preacher said, Behold, in the window there is a glass, and in the mirror there is a glass. But the glass of the mirror is covered with a little silver, and no sooner is the silver added that you cease to see others and you only see yourself. When we get money involved, we fail to see what God has us to see. Paul told Timothy that he was to warn. Timothy was a preacher boy, was Paul's preacher boy. Timothy was the pastor of a church in a city named Ephesus. And Timothy was a young man when he pastored 
there. And Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, as a the pastor, you need to warn the rich people in the church there because money is a corrupter of the mind and of the soul. First Timothy six seventeen through 19, Paul told Timothy, he said, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, not, or nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, which giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that uh, they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Earlier in the same chapter, Paul told his preacher boy that the love of money is what? The root of all evil. The biggest lie that Satan tells the American church is this right here. It is indeed possible to serve both God and money. That is the biggest lie he tells the American church. It is possible, Satan says, to serve both God and money. You can love them both. You can serve them both. We know that Jesus said in Matthew 6, that is not possible. Scripture is clear that money is to be a tool we use to serve God with our lives. It's not to be the end of the means. It is to be a means to a greater end. I propose that money, that many Christians are unaware of the lost condition of this world. We are distracted. Distracted by the day-to-day routine And by a desire to build our own little kingdoms, Satan and sin has us so distracted that we fail to see the bigger picture. One day, my friend, we will stand in heaven. We'll be given a proper perspective. I heard a preacher say this week in a sermon I was listening to, he said, I don't want to get to heaven and find out after I got there that there was work that God had for me that I didn't get done. He said, if I get to heaven and God shows me work on earth that's still undone, I'm going to ask him if he'll send me back so I can get it done. God's not going to answer that request. We have one shot at this, don't we? Boy, I don't want to get to heaven and God say, now, here, let me give you a perspective. Here's what I had for you. Here's what you should have done. And then I have to hang my head in shame and say, boy, I, I didn't get to it. What I hope to offer each one of you this morning is an opportunity to have a little bit of that perspective here, right now. I hope to offer you an opportunity to see how lost and broken the people of this world truly are. I hope to show you how little most of us do about it and why that is. Today we continue our series, Money Matters. And we consider this question, whose money is it anyway? I'm going to give you four points this morning to the message. Let's jump into point number one and let's see the need. The need. Matthew chapter 9, look back with me at verse number 36. Jesus very clearly lays out the need at the end 
of this chapter. It says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Jesus had just finished a very difficult day of church ministry. He had just finished, or rather ministry, he had just finished a difficult day of going around and touching a whole lot of hurting people, uh, helping a whole lot of people. And after he had spent the entire day helping people, he gets to the very end and he looks and there's this huge crowd of people that still need to be helped. And he looks at his disciples and he looks at the people and then he looks out over the city and he sees all of the other people knowing every problem that they carry, every burden that they had, every lost way that each one of them is on. And he looks at his disciples and I believe with a tear in his eye, he says with a heart full of compassion, the harvest is plenteous, but I don't have any real help. The laborers are few. Let me give you an A and a B here. Notice letter A, the hurting and the heathen. The hurting and the heathen. Jesus gave us these words in Matthew 9, at the end of the chapter, He gave us these words about the harvest being plenteous and the laborers few. He gave us these words after a day of walking around Capernaum and loving on those who were hurting. Look back with me at Matthew chapter 9 and look at verse number 1, the very beginning of the chapter. Matthew 9, verse 1, here we see His interaction with the palsied man. He says, and He entered into a ship and passed over and came into His own city. And behold, they brought to Him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith... Uh, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sin be forgiven thee. And so Jesus walks off the boat. A, a man who is crippled is brought to him. Jesus heals the crippled man. Then Jesus turns his attention to uh, someone who is a social reject. Look down at verse number 9. 9-9. Nine, nine. The Bible says, And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man uh, named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Here Matthew is a reject by the culture because he's a publican. He's a tax collector. He's on the outside looking in from community and culture and none of his own people want to have anything to do with him and none of the Romans really want to have anything to do with him other than to use him to collect the money of the Hebrews. And here Matthew has no real friends and Matthew is a reject and Jesus comes along and he says, Matthew, no one else accepts you. I accept you. Follow me. And Matthew neglects the custom. He turns his back on his career and he follows Jesus. Look down at verse number 20 and let's read through verse 22. We see here the woman with the issue of blood. We're talking about those that are hurting. We're talking about those in great need. The Bible says, and behold, a woman which was deceased with an issue of blood 12 years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, if I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about. And when he saw her, he said, daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. Jesus is walking from point A to point B. We'll see in a minute where he was going. But in his journey, a woman pushes through the crowd. She's exhausted every dollar in her bank account. She's exhausted every medical option she has. She's got a sickness she can't seem to find a solution to. And she just says to herself, if I can just touch the bottom of his robe, I'll be made whole. She reaches out through the crowd and she touches him and by her 
her faith in Jesus and the power of Jesus, virtue leaves the Savior, and this woman who is hurting, this woman who is in great need, is made whole. Look down at verse 25 and 26. We see that Jesus raises a dead little girl who belongs to Jairus. The Bible says in 25, But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose, and the fame um, uh, hereof went abroad into all the land. Can you imagine being in this family? You have a little girl, a little nine, ten-year-old girl. I've got a ten-year-old girl named April I love very much. And I can't imagine seeing her uh, die in my house, die in her bed. And that's what happened. This little girl is laying there dead. And parents are just crushed. They're heartbroken. And Jesus walks in and He takes this little girl by the hand and He gives her life anew. This family was hurting. This family was in great need. Jesus stepped in in their time of need. Look at verse 25 and 20, or rather verse 27 through 29 and we see Jesus helping the blind men. It says, and when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him crying and saying, thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said unto them, believe ye that I am able to do this. Then said unto him, yea, Lord, then touched, the, uh, then touched he their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it unto you. Those men who were stumbling through life without the ability to see, uh, have their eyes touched by their own faith, they were given their sight. Look down at verse 32 and 33, and we see the dumb demonic man. The Bible says, and they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with the devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. All of this happened in just the span of a few short hours. From stepping on the boat and dealing with the palsy man, all the way through this man who was demon-possessed, these folks were brought to Jesus. He came to Je- These people came to Jesus. They were hurting. Uh, they, 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 their lives were in chaos. Their lives uh, were, were, were damaged. They were damaging those around them. They were hurting those around them. And Jesus stepped in and He touched their lives and He made them whole. And then at the very end of all of that, He gets to the very end of the day. No doubt He's exhausted and weary from a long day and he turns and he looks out over Capernaum and he sees all of these people that are still hurting and he turns to his disciples and he says, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Why? Because Jesus gave his time helping hurting people. The need. The need. You know, just as in Jesus' time, The world today is filled with hurting people. I pulled some numbers down off of the World Health Organization's website. 253 million people are affected by some form of blindness or visual impairment. This represents 3.2% of the world's population. That's twice Mexico's population. 466 million people have a disabling deafness or severe hearing loss. This represents 6% of the world's population. That is to say, all of the inhabitants of the European Union. About 200 million people have an intellectual disability, meaning an IQ lower than 75. This represents 2.6 of the world's population. That would cover the number of inhabitants within the country of Brazil. 75 million people need a wheelchair on a daily basis. This represents 1% of the world's population. That's twice Canada's population. 
While I could not find any statistics about demon possession, demonic possession, I can assure you that if demonic possession was present in Jesus' time, it is even more so today. There are many, many people in the world that are hurting today. Christian, can you see the need? According to the American Psychological Association, in an article published November of 2017, 12.7% of the U.S. population over the age of 12 are on some form of antidepressants. Between 1999 and 2014, the number of those taking antidepressants increased by 64%. According to this study, women are twice as likely to take antidepressants than men. The world is filled with people that are hurting. My friend, can you see the need? Jesus stepped into the lives of these people who were blind and deaf and dumb and demonic, paralyzed. And by their faith, he made them whole. Now, I want to be clear here. If someone puts their faith and trust in Jesus and they're blind, that does not mean they're going to get their sight back here. But it does mean one day they'll have their sight in eternity. The best thing you can do for someone who is struggling with an illness is introduce them to the great position of their soul. But in Matthew 9, we not only see that Jesus ministered to the hurting, He also ministered to the heathen. Look down at Matthew 9, verse number 11. Matthew 9, verse number 11, the Bible says, And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto His disciples, Why eateth your master? with publicans and sinners. But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Sinners to repentance. Somewhere in Jesus' busy day, he stopped to eat some lunch, and the religious outcasts of society, the publicans and sinners, or uh, you would call them today, the heathen, came and were loved on by Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, the truth is today, most people alive today live without a relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I looked up this week, according to worldometers.info, that's a website, the world's population is currently 7.8 billion people and fastly approaching 7.9 billion people. For the message today, we're going to run with the number 7, the rounded off number 7.8 billion people. Take, take your Bible back over just a page to the left, Matthew chapter 7, and look at verse number 13. Matthew 7, verse 13. 7.8 billion, with a B, billion people walking planet earth. Matthew 7, verse 13. Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight 
gate. Look here, for wide, speaking of eternity, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. According to Jesus Christ himself, the large majority of people will walk down a path that leads to eternal destruction. Only a small minority will choose Christ. So do today's numbers bear out Jesus' claim? The answer is yes. Let me ask you a question this morning. What percentage of our population will trust Christ for salvation? Well, according to worldatlas.org, there are approximately 1.7 billion Muslims alive today. That makes up 19.3% of the world's population. According to multiple sources, there are approximately 1.2 billion Hindus alive today. That makes up 13.6. According to multiple sources, there are approximately 1.2 billion Catholics alive today. According to multiple sources, there are approximately 1.1 billion agnostics or non-religious folks alive today. According to multiple sources, a conservative estimate of worldwide atheists is 500 million, 5.7% of the world's population. And according to multiple sources, a conservative estimate of worldwide Buddhists is 350 million. Now, That does not add up to 100% because there are so many more religions in the world that I didn't uh, have the time or screen space to include uh, the other ones, all right? But that makes up about 68% of the earth's population. Now, I want to just pause here and make sure I'm careful and sensitive uh, uh, with with the Catholic number, okay? The Catholic dogma, the Catholic doctrine does not teach that salvation is a gift from God received by grace through faith. The Catholic dogma, the Catholic teaching, and I can say this with authority because I've spoken to many priests and I've read Catholic doctrine, okay? I'm not just spouting off something off the top of my head that's hearsay. I know this to be factual. Catholic dogma teaches that you must be baptized at some point in your life to be saved, even though that's not in the Bible. And Catholic dogma and doctrine also teaches that you must be a good person in order to get to heaven. You must live a good life in order for God to grant you access, or you go to a place called purgatory where only loved ones can possibly pray you out, or over a long period of time you can work your way into heaven. My friend, that's just not what the Bible teaches. Now, with that said, there are people who are Catholic who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save them. I am aware that not not every Catholic is on their way to hell, but I do believe that the very large majority of them have not put their faith in Jesus Christ alone to save them. That's why that is up there on the screen. According to multiple sources, now I've given you conservative estimates when it comes to Buddhists and atheists, but according to multiple sources, a generous estimate of worldwide evangelical Christians is 660 million or seven and a half percent of the world's population. Now that means that 92.5% of the world's population is walking down the broad path leading to destruction. What does that look like in number form? 7 billion. 
215 million people alive today are walking planet Earth, lost in their sin, walking down a path of destruction. I've been very careful with these numbers. I have taken time to source every data point and every fact, factoid I've given you today. 7.2 billion people walking planet Earth right now are walking down a path of destruction. Can you see the need? Can you see the need? Now, I've been, I, I have appealed to your intellect. Let me appeal to your emotion for a moment. Letter A, we see the hurting and the heathen. Letter B, let's look at heaven and hell. Heaven and hell. Take your Bible over to uh, Luke chapter number 16 with me, if you will. So people die. Um, as people die, where are they going? Where are they going? Well, those who are walking down the narrow path, that 7.5%, they're on their way to heaven. Jesus said they're going down the straight path where there is life and life abundantly. Uh, John 14, Jesus said to those who have believed in him and made him the way, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I, Jesus, go to prepare a place for you. So those that do trust Christ go to heaven for all eternity, what awaits them? What awaits those who go to heaven? Well, mansions and streets of gold and gates of pearl, euphoria, perfect hearing, perfect sight, perfect legs, a sinless heart, no hospitals, no funerals, no doctors or medicine, no fighting, no crying, no medical, emotional, relation or relational or psychological problems, eternal bliss of worshiping the Savior of our souls for all of eternity. What awaits us in heaven living in perfect harmony with our Creator? And the saints of every age. For those who have found the narrow path. For those of us who have trusted Christ. For those of us who have been forgiven. Heaven awaits. Jesus said in John 12.32 that if he would be lifted up from the earth. He would draw all men to himself. Can you see the need to lift up Jesus? Heaven awaits those that do. But what about those poor souls who never accept Jesus? What will happen to them? Look at Luke 16 and look at verse 22. We're going to read down through verse 31. The Bible says, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he, the rich man, lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one uh, went unto them from the dead, they would repent. 
And he said unto him, If they not hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. According to multiple sources, a conservative estimate claims that an average of 1.9 people die every second of every day. Since our service started this morning, there have already been an estimated 4,560 people that have already died. 4,560 people have already died. That world death clock on the screen before you will continue to update every 30 seconds with how many folks have died until the end of the service. What awaits those who die in their sin? What awaits the, on average, 93, 92.5% of those that die? What awaits the 8 billion plus, 7 billion plus souls that very well may uh, die without Christ? What awaits them? Eternal torment. Unquenchable fire. Thirst. A locked gate, horror, worms, darkness, and eternity with a heart filled with regret and hatred, constant pain, no doctors or medicine to treat their constant pain, and eternity filled with medical, emotional, relational, and psychological torment, eternal horror of being Rejected by their Creator for all of eternity. This is the damnation of sin. This is the price of sin. This is the broad path that leads to eternal destruction. Revelation 21.8 says this, But the fearful and unbelieving, and abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. For this is the second death. What did the rich man request? He requested for a soul winner to go and tell his family, The greatest soul winners are those who are trapped in hell. Can you see the need this morning? People are hurting. People need a healing balm. That healing balm is Jesus Christ. Number one, we see the need. Number two, let's turn our attention and see the greed. The greed. Turn over to Luke chapter 10 in your Bibles, if you would. Luke chapter 10. There are two separate occasions when Jesus commands us to go forth into the harvest. We saw the one in Matthew 9, and we saw that in context. Well, what about the other one? Turn to Luke 10, look with me at verse number 1 and verse number 2. The Bible says, after these things, what things? Well, we're going to look at those things in just a moment at the end of Luke 9. 
After these things, the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Now in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus gave this statement after a day of ministry. But in Luke 10, Jesus gives these verses on the heels of dealing with greedy people. Greedy people. Uh, How were the people in Luke 9 greedy? Now, if I had two hours to preach to you, we could go all the way back to the beginning of Luke 9 and see how even the disciples were being greedy because Jesus spends all of Luke 9 reprimanding person after person, situation after situation, but for the sake of brevity, for the sake of condensing uh, the thought this morning on greed, let's look at the last few verses of Luke 9 and see how Jesus addressed greed in three ways. Let me give you an A, B, and a C here. Let me give you letter A. Uh, Folks, we're greedy with finances. Greedy with our finances. Look at Luke 9 and look at verse number 57. 57. The Bible says, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Notice he gives lip service to following Jesus, but then when the reality of what he has to give up hits, all of a sudden now he's not interested. Verse 58, Jesus saith unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. You know what this man came? He came to Jesus and he said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, okay, but understand that right now anyway, following me means that you're not going to have a house to live in. We're going to be sleeping in fields. We're going to be sleeping in borrowed homes. We're going to be sleeping, looking up at the stars and out of tents. He said, I am homeless. If you want to follow me at this time right now, that means being homeless. You know, many people would look after the need if it wasn't for the fact that their lifestyle is set up on greed. Our greed gets in the way of the need. Now I said in the beginning of the sermon that one day God very well is going to offer us a perspective of what we did and didn't get done here on earth. And when we get to heaven and we look down and we see from God's point of view, and God says, if you hadn't been so concerned about this, that, and that, and you've been more concerned about this, this, and this, here's how many more people would have been in heaven and would have not gone to hell because of you. But my friend, instead, we're too caught up in being greedy. Greedy. Again, there are two perspectives people have on money. How much of my money will I give to God or how much of God's money am I going to spend on myself? Which one of those sums up your perspective this morning? This man did not want to turn his back. I think of a similar passage where the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what do I need to have due to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you need to keep the commandments. And the man said, oh, I've kept all those from my youth up. And then Jesus said, go and sell all that you have and come and follow me. And the Bible says the man left grieved. He left grieved. Why? Because the man was greedy with his money and that was in the way of him serving Jesus. Now, church, I've handled you gently the last two messages, and I don't mean to come across as unkind, but I do want to be pointed. As long as we're going to chase money, we cannot chase God. 
as long as we want to bear a fat wallet, we cannot bear a rugged cross. God very well may give you all sorts of money along the way. You're to use that money to bear your cross. This man decided not to follow Jesus, we believe. Why? Because he didn't want to make the sacrifices financially that were required to take care of the need. I want you to ask yourself this question this morning. Am I greedy when it comes to money? Am I so white-knuckling the money that I have coming in? Am I so white-knuckling the things that that money buys? Am I so white-knuckling a lifestyle that I have such a desire to live and have? Am I so white-knuckling keeping up with the Joneses that I can't help fulfill the great need? Greedy with our finances. Let her be greedy with our family. Greedy with her family. Then another uh, person Jesus approaches about following Him. Look at verse 59. And He said unto another, Follow me. But He said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus saith unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Wow! You know, for years I'd read that verse and I'd think, Jesus, that's so cold. Right? Like, the dude's dad is dying. Like, he's dead. Like, let him have a funeral service and he's going to be right there. And I heard a preacher preach out of this passage one time years ago. And, and, I, and, I, and I think this is probably a correct interpretation. Is it very likely that this guy's dad was sick but not dead yet? With no real death date in sight? And this man was saying, when my dad's dead and I can bury him, then I'll follow you. And Jesus said, no, uh-uh. You let the dead bury their dead. You come and follow me. I want to talk about this idea of being greedy with our family on the opposite side of life. Our church is filled with young people. Our teenagers are in the room this morning. I'm thankful for our teenagers. I think God's given us a great group of youth at White Oak Baptist Church. Many of those that come, um, that's not the popular thing in their neighborhoods to do. They're here because they choose to be here. And then we have some that are here because their parents bring them, and I don't know if they want to be here or not because their parents bring them, amen? But a bunch of them get up on their own, and they climb on a church bus, and they're here week in and week out, and they're faithful. I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for our children upstairs. Boy, they're precious. Today, little Samuel Latimerican came in in a full suit carrying his Bible, and I'd say to little Sammy, he's getting ready to turn four, I'd say to Sammy, I'd say, come on, preacher, preach! And he'd, he'd beat that Bible, right? Cute little guy. Precious. So those of you that have children living at home, or those of you that are parents that are, are, are married that may very well have children but have not had children yet, let me ask you a question. If God were to call your child to serve Him full-time in ministry, are you okay with that? Right now, my parents have a son who lives in Honduras. They have two children. My parents don't get to see those grandbabies very often. Right now, my mom and dad have a daughter, my sister, who lives in Fiji. 
with two children. They don't get to see those grandbabies very often. What if God calls your child to the other side of the world to serve in an area that's not so safe? You see, the need is so great. The need is so pressing. The need is so overwhelming. 92.5% of the world's population by even a, 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 a loose number, 92.5% of the world's population, if not more, over 7 billion people are hurting and are on their way to hell. And my friend, uh, will you let your children go in order to proclaim the truth? Will you raise them in such a way where if God wanted to call their heart, you'll let them go? My friend, the need is so great. We need children and teenagers and even adults to stand up and say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Well, but many parents are too concerned about living vicariously through their children and having their children become a sports star or having their children become a, a, a doctor or having their children become a lawyer or having their children become somebody famous and we push and press to have them fill up our dream and our desire while the need of the world is neglected and ignored. Our greed, our greed, our greed in the way of finances, our greed in the way of family. How about letter C, greed with our focus. Look at verse number 61. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. Jesus saith unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, here's what Jesus was able to do, and I'm not able to do this, and you're not able to do this. Jesus was able to look past the statement into the heart, and he was able to know the person in the heart for what they were saying. When this guy was saying, hey, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but real quick, let me go home, and let me just say goodbye to everybody, let me hug everyone's neck and give everyone a kiss, and then pack a bag, and then I'll be right back to follow you. Jesus knew beyond that statement in the heart was someone who was distracted and indecisive. I have spent 37 years... Oop, there's a spider on the platform. I got it. Amen. I have seen 37 years um, um, being in church. And you know what people do? Sign me up. I'll sing in the choir. Two months in. Hey, where's Mother Such and Such? Where's Sister Such and Such? Hey, by the way, the choir plays a vital role in a church service. It helps prepare people's hearts for the preaching of God's Word. You make a commitment to be in the choir, boy, you better be there week in and week out. Hey, uh, uh, hey, uh, uh, sign me up. I'll go tell people about Jesus on a Saturday morning. Three, four weeks in. Hey, where's, uh, where's Sister Such and Such? Where's Brother Such and Such? Oh, well, um, uh, they had something to do today. They're not going to be there. Hey, sign me up. I'll help on a bus route. Six months in. You know, I, I just don't think this is for me. And listen, if it's not for you and you switch to another ministry and you're involved, hey, that's great. But to just go sit on the sidelines and twiddle your thumbs? We need to be focused on the mission. We need to be focused on the need. People are dying and going to hell. People are lost in their sin. People are wandering around and they're hurting. And Christians are worried about things uh, over here and over there. Things that when we get to heaven are just not going to matter. Why? Because we're greedy. We're greedy. 
We want to hold on to every little dollar in our pocket and we don't want to part with it for the work of the Lord. Well, I'll throw five bucks in the offering plate. Surely that's good enough for the Lord. And thankful, thank you if you give five dollars. But listen, God's called you to do so much more than just throw that little five bucks in. You heard about the old man who went to church. His uh, grandson drug in there. Didn't want to go. And um, offering plate came by and the little boy's elbow and his grandpa to put something in. The old man reached in his pocket and, and uh, picked the smallest denomination coin he had, which was a nickel, and he just flipped it in the plate on the way by, crossed his arms, and sat there with a bad attitude. They got in the car on the way home, and that grandfather was just griping and complaining, the little boy smiling in the ear, and the, grand, the old man says, man, the, the, uh, the preacher was too long and too loud, and the singing was off key, and the special music wasn't ready, and now that was horrible. The little boy smiled real big, and he looked at his grandpa, and he said, That was a pretty good show for a nickel. (laughs) You know what I have found? I have found that the people who complain the most at church are the people who do and give the least. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I've yet to meet the person who gives abundantly to the Lord of everything they have who sits on the sideline and says, I hate that I gave so much to the Lord. Are you, are you focused on the need or are you focused on yourself? Are you focused on the need or are you focused on your comfort? Are you focused on the need or are you focused on how you can make yourself better? Whose kingdom are you trying to build? Are you trying to build His kingdom and populate heaven and depopulate hell? Or are you trying to populate a bank account? Or populate a retirement? Or populate fill in the blank? My friend, God has called us to a need. Let's not let greed get in the way quickly. Number three. Number one, we saw the need. Number two, the greed. Number three, notice the seeds. The seeds. Turn over to Luke chapter 8. What are the seeds? Here we find the parable of the farmer and the seed, the sower and the seed. Quickly, the farmer slings the seed on four different types of soil. These soils represent the conditions of different types of heart conditions that are found within the world today. Even in this room today, all four uh, heart types are represented. Let, Let me give you a letter A and a B here quickly. Notice letter A, the Word of God. Now back in 2018, our theme was rooted in Christ. I spent a lot of time in this passage, so I'm not going to dwell here long this morning, but let's read from verse 4 down through verse number 11. Just a couple of truths I want to extrapolate out of the passage. The Bible says, And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it, and some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it, and uh, some uh, and choked it, and others fell on good ground, and sprang up, and bare fruit in hundredfold, and when he had said these things, he cried, he that hath an ears to hear, let him hear, and his disciples asked him, saying, what might this parable be? And he said, unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they may not, might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now look at verse 11, look at verse 11, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. Psalm 126 verse 6 says this, He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed. You know what God's word is? 
It's precious. God's Word is powerful. God's Word changes lives. God's Word can reach into the heart of anyone who allows it and can change their eternal destination from hell to heaven. God's Word is the answer to all the problems in this world. In heaven, we will live flawlessly by it uh, without the temptation of sin to cause us to detract or rebel. Heaven is a place of euphoria because heaven is a place where God and His Word are obeyed and followed 100% of the time by everyone who is there. The world today is full of hurt. Why? Because God's Word is disobeyed and rebellion runs rampant. But God's Word offers the healing balm to the soul. You know what we do about the need? We put away the greed and we go and get the seeds of God's Word and we get busy planting those seeds in as many hearts as we can. Because God's Word is what changes us and changes you. How many of you can remember the day where you came, it hit you like a ton of bricks, how sinful you were and how depraved you were from God and the Lord reached down and He saved your soul. You turned to Him by faith. The Word of God took root in your heart and shot up and the fruit of salvation happened. How many of you can remember the day that God saved your soul? Aren't you glad He did that? Aren't you glad God's Word came in and totally changed your life? Don't you think the rest of the world needs God's Word to work in their life and heart? The Word of God is the answer. Letter B, notice our work for God. Look down at Luke chapter 8. Look at verse 5. Look there. It says, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. Look back at the beginning of 5. It says, A sower went out to sow his seed, as he sowed. Notice the action there. Notice the work there. Now, let's just use a little bit of logic. Those of you who are here in 2018, this will still be familiar to you because we covered it so many times, okay? The seed is the Word of God. What is the seed? All right, you're awake this morning. Amen. Okay, so if the, the casting of the seed out on the hearts of man uh, is the giving forth of the seed, then the one who sows the seed or the sower of the seed is the preacher of the Word. So the sower of the seed is the preacher of the Word. Who is the sower of the seed? Very good. Now, all of us are called to be a preacher of of the word. Women are not called to pastor, but women are called to proclaim the truth of righteousness to anyone and everyone who will listen. And I got an amen from a woman on that. Amen. All of us are called to do the work for God. You know, I want so so bad to get this down past your head and then the 18 inches down to get it travel to your heart. And, and, and some level, the Spirit of God's got to do it. But I'm going to give it my, my very most uh, fervent effort this morning. I, I am concerned that I'm going to stand before God one day. And God is going to look at me. And He's going to say, you did a good job mostly. 
But what about that time when you and didn't? What about that season of life when you were carnal and backslidden and didn't? Here are these people that would have been reached. Here's this person that would have been reached. If you would have let my spirit lead you here, boy, this would have turned out different in this way. You say, is God going to do that to us? I don't know. But what if He does? What if we're so busy doing our own work, we're so too busy neglecting His work? 7,011 people since 1045 this morning statistically have died. Are we doing our part to see those folks saved? Are you invested in the work of God? Or are you too busy doing your own work? How do we cast the seed? Write this down somewhere in your notes. We cast the seed by going and giving. Going and giving. Going and giving. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. It doesn't say to get people to come to your church. It doesn't say come. It says go. Now, I'm all for people coming to church to hear the Word of God. I'm all for us having big days and inviting people into our house while we preach the Gospel to them. But listen, the evangelical movement today says, build a big house and get them to come and preach the Gospel. But Jesus didn't say to His disciples, go build a big church and get a a bunch of people to come. Jesus looked at His disciples and He said, go! Go and teach all nations! And too many Christians today are too lazy to get up and go! We can say we're afraid. We can say we don't know how. We can make every excuse in the book. But Jesus looked at His disciples and He said, Go! 7.2 billion people are on their way to hell because Christians won't go! And I can't say it loud enough and hard enough and firm enough. We're too lazy. We're too busy. We're too distracted. We're greedy. And because of that, we don't take the seed. We don't go. How do we get forth the gospel? We go. We go. How do we go? Well, in the New Testament, God ordained the local New Testament church to be the place where His people gather, organize themselves, and encourage one another. And then we launch out into the world from the church. We launch out into the world with the seeds of the gospel. Uh, Are you involved with our soul winning program? Or has greed gotten in the way? Are you passing out gospel tracts to the lost? Or has greed gotten in the way? Do you give a to our church program or has greed gotten in the way? Are you giving generously in the offering plate to the missions program so that our missionaries can go? Or has greed gotten in the way? We need an army of people who will see the need clearly, eliminate all of the excuses, and then head out to the harvest fields. Jesus dealt with three people at the end of Matthew 9 who gave him an excuse as to why he couldn't go, or rather Luke 9. And then in Luke 10, he turned to the 70 that were there who had no excuses. He put them in pairs of two and he said, go, go. The harvest is plenteous. The labors are few. Go, go. On Saturday mornings, we gather here. We're thankful for everyone who comes or has come. And you know what we do? We don't look at the ones that haven't showed up. We look at the ones who have showed up and we say, go, go, go. Take the gospel and go. How do we take care of the need? Well, we go and we give. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 7. 2 Corinthians 9, and look with me at verse number 7. The 
The Bible says here, it says, every man, not some man, not when you can, it says every man. That's every person, according as he purposeth in his heart. So let him pocket his money. Is that what it says? So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. Every man's to give so that the word of God can go. You know, Matthew 28 tells us that we're to go. Matthew 28 and Mark 16 tells us we're to go into all the world. Unless you have a clone machine, it's not possible to go into all the world on your own. So we go here and we give so others can go where we can't. 7.2 billion people, most of them do not live within driving distance of ourselves. But we can give to those who are willing to go to those that we can't get to. We need an army of people who will see the need crystal clear. We need an army of people who will eliminate all the excuses and will head out into the harvest fields and do the work of the Lord. Number one, the need. Number two, the greed. Number three, the seeds. Lastly, number four, notice the weeds. The weeds. Look at Luke chapter 8. Look at verse 14. I finish with this. That which fell among thorns are they, which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. Sadly, many Christians will not give and go because of their own Christian life is nothing more than a garden of thorns, thistles, and weeds. Many of us get choked out in our effort to go and give by the thorns of cares. And I would label that problems. The thorns of our own life problems grow up around the tree of our Christian life and chokes out any fruit of fulfilling the need that God has left us to do. For some, it's not the thorns of cares, it's the thistles of riches. Instead of it being problems, it's prosperity. They're concerned about earthly prosperity and that prosperity chokes out their ability to fulfill the need by casting the seed. For others, it's the weeds of pleasure. It's a weekend vacation here. It's, uh, it, it, it's, it's spending money over here. It's a ball game over there. It's an entertainment package over here. By the way, there's nothing wrong with those things, but when they get in between us and loving God, us and the need, they grow up in our heart and they choke out our spiritual fruit. For some of you this morning, what you need to do is identify what weeds are in the garden of your heart. That takes us back to last week's sermon, the problem of the heart. You need to get down and you need to get busy and you need to pull up some weeds. Because the need is so great. The world is filled with hurting heathen people. I finished with this illustration. A.W. Tozer reminds us money often comes between God and men. Someone has said that you can take two small ten-cent pieces, just two dimes, and you can shut out the view of a panoramic landscape. Go to the mountains and just hold those two coins closely in front of your eyes. While the mountains are still there, you cannot see them at all because there is a dime shutting off the vision in each eye. It doesn't take large quantities of money to come between us and God. Just a little, placed in the wrong position, 
will effectively obscure our view. Since the start of our service this morning, 7,866 people have died. Most of them without Christ. Most of them have gone straight to hell. Do you see the need? I want to ask you this question this morning, Christian. Are you ready to reach down deep and make some real profound changes in the way you live your life and eliminate greed? Again, there are two ways in which Christians may view their money. How much of my money shall I use for God? Or how much of God's money shall I use for myself? Which one of those questions defines your view? Whose money is it anyway? Is it yours or is it God's? Is it your need that needs to be fulfilled by your money or is it His need that is fulfilled by His money that He's entrusted to you? Are you being a good steward this morning? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many of you here this morning would say, Pastor, God has put His finger on some greed in my heart. Pastor, pray that God would help me to deal with that. Right here, right now. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? God has showed me that I'm not really as focused on the need as I ought to be. I'm distracted. I'm distracted. Oh, Spirit of God, do a work in the heart of your people this morning. Lord, please. How many of you here would say, Pastor, I'm not doing my part to take care of the need. I I need to do more. There's people dying around me everywhere going to hell, and I need to do my part to help them know about Jesus. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Pastor, pray for me. I need to do my part. I can do more. Whatever I'm doing, I can do more. 8,151 people have died since the start of this service. Are you doing your part? You may be here this morning and you've never put your faith and trust in simply Jesus to save you. It's not about being religious. God's not going to check your denomination card when you get to heaven. He doesn't care if you're Baptist or Presbyterian or Methodist or Lutheran or or Catholic. He doesn't care. What he wants to know is, what did you do with Jesus? Did you believe in Jesus? Did you accept him for salvation? It really is that simple. If you've not done that today, will you let today be the day you put your faith in Jesus alone to save you? Our pianist could come to the piano, please. In a moment, we're going to have an old-fashioned invitation. And I think for some of you, it would be a good idea if for the first time in a long time, you left your seat and you came and knelt at an altar and you poured your heart out to God and you asked Him to, get, you asked him to uh, help you make the changes you need to make so that your heart can be whole given to fulfilling and accomplishing the need of the gospel. God's touched your heart about some greed in your life today. Why don't you confess that and give that to God and ask Him to help you make changes. Let's stand to our feet right where we are. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.
Lord, I pray today You would help us. Help us to make real decisions that last a lifetime. Some in here, Lord, are giving their life to this need. I've been called to You because of this need. Lord, sometimes we need to renew that calling. We need a fresh anointing. Work in each heart individually, Lord, please. I beg you. Spirit of God, please convict. Get hold of the one that's furthest from you right now. In Jesus' name.